0: I would say I'm not used to that work. Nina Kapitsycheva. Hello,
1: Agnes Falcherash. In this, our third episode, I talked to Anne-Marie O'Brien, who is the director of our Irish Script on Screen project, which has so far digitized roughly 425 manuscripts. You will find out how these same manuscripts managed to knock out a server in Oxford. And for optimal enjoyment of this podcast, have the website www.isos.dias.ie at the ready. Enjoy! Welcome to the third episode of the School of Celtic Studies podcast, Nianza, and today I'm joined in digital fashion (laughs) by Anne-Marie O'Brien, who is the director of the Irish Script on Screen project, uh, which is Rana Dias, uh, or uh, her other uh, function title, as we know her, is the one woman miracle (laughs) behind (laughs) ISOS. Thank you. Um, And uh, as Michal Hoyne mentioned in the last episode, she's the woman who makes it possible for a uh, Celticist to uh, watch medieval manuscript in their pajamas at home, <laughs> so we are very <laughs> grateful to her for that. Uh, so, hello, Anne-Marie, you're very welcome. How are you?
0: Hello, thank you for having me.
1: Of course, yeah, we're all uh, we're all fascinated by what you do. So I'm really thrilled to have a chance to uh, ask you more about that. Uh, And as you know, the questions will be in Old Irish, but they will be translated as well. So uh, I'll I'll just uh, start with our very first question, uh, which is. What is your name? Which is a bit superfluous, but uh, I ask it anyway. What is your name Uh, and what brought you here uh, digitizing manuscripts uh, and uh, at dais?
0: Okay, well I'll give you a little bit of a history about myself. My name is Amory O'Brien and I'm currently the director on the Irish Script on Screen project in the School of Celtic Studies. Irish Script on Screen, or ISOS as it's commonly named, is a mass digitization project of Irish manuscripts. But I first started out myself in communications and media studies, but I, I found I was drawn more towards the photography studies side and so this led me on to following that with a a degree in technology and commercial photography at Dunleary institute of art design and technology very cool so at the end of all of those studies it was about (laughs) uh, 2002 and uh, digitization at this point was was out there but it it wasn't something that uh, as we know it today um, there was one digital camera in my uh, on my course, oh, wow. and um, everyone looked at it as being very quite odd and uh, something that we weren't really sort of interested in, because at that point when you took a, a picture, it took a couple of seconds. So. If the person moved yeah. at all, it would be blurry, and and so we just kind of looked at this, going, "Oh God, that's never going to take off." <laughs> uh, so <laughs> how random, <ironic>, yeah. <laughs> you know. So I, I mean, at that stage, um, there was no internet access on phones, certainly of no cameras yeah. on phones. So this digital sort of revolution had had not begun in any sort of shape or form. So uh, when in two thousand two, when I was finishing my degree, um, this vacancy came for a digital technology uh, technician on a one-year contract uh, to work on the Irish script on screen project. All oh right. Yeah. Um, so I-, I was interested to see what the project involved, and it was as it was just for one year. I, I thought I'd give it a shot.
1: Oh um, yeah. So I was hired. Sorry, it was a very young project at that stage as well because I was doing some um, Googling and I found an article in the Irish Times from 1999 stating that Irish manuscripts were to go online. Was that the very beginning of ISOs as a project?
0: Yeah, it was. um, uh, It was something that was um, a need, I think, for uh, the School of Celtic Studies because they were publishing a lot of research material at the time. Mm. I think they wanted to have you know, quality imagery to go with them in their published books. So I think this was sort of like a a brainchild of of trying to sort of collaborate that together. Um, uh, So I think they were, you know, very tense of looking around to see what other people were doing. And I think they were trying to follow, there was also an early manuscripts uh, project going on in Oxford, but they had begun in 1995. So they were trying to sort of uh, look at that model and, and see, how they would you know um start their own if- all
1: right yeah So said, my other question was um was ISO's actually the first uh digitization project of medieval manuscript but oxford beat them uh it.
0: they did we okay. were uh i'd say probably one of the first in your right um, yes it was still pretty cool <laughs> yeah i mean it, the people who were starting the project in oxford were coming across um and helping uh, at the time, oh, the right. okay. Okay. Studies. so there was a lot of back and forth between the two projects to see what was working. Um, so when I kind of came onto the project, uh, there was Porco McConnell's director and a, another uh, senior technician at that point, Colin Dunn, who had mm-hmm. gone over to the Oxford uh, project to, to see what they were doing. Right. Um, and then uh, at that stage as well, because IT was such a, a large, you needed to large storage, for these images, like they were just huge. We mm. we wouldn't have been able to um, store um, memory as we do now. Right. So um, we had, uh, we were in partnership with DCU under the supervision of Professor Alan Smeaton at the time um, so that they could provide the necessary technical expertise in digitization processing and right. again, storage. Because, I mean, we were still floppy disk at this point oh, right? wow. <laughs> as, you Know and so one image was kind of being stored at a time, it was so painful yeah. slow.
1: I, yeah, I even wonder like, people who listen to this podcast would they still remember floppy disks? Oh, <laughs> it feels I... like ages ago. <laughs> I still remember them, by the way, so that shows my age, but uh, that's madness. So, how if you took a picture, would that actually fit on a floppy disk, or would you need like multiple floppy disks for? One image, of, or how would that work?
0: <laughs> well, we had uh, jazz uh, cartridges at that point. They were really chunky, and I think they sort of stored about five um, gigabytes of data. So you would get a, a couple of images on there at the time. What was it 500 megabytes? I'm not too sure. But um, yeah, yeah. so you would have, then you'd have your tape machines as well that you'd have to run them off certain. Um, computers so it just it was a a bit of a nightmare because when you were sending stuff across to the libraries as well each of them had their different tape drives that you would have to accommodate so it was just but um, I was going to go through the difference in in IT as well that we had uh, over the years because that's quite interesting in itself because um, when we um, set up um, we had two servers um For two terabytes of data, and they were, they cost a significant amount of money oh, yeah. like 20,000 euros per two gig, uh, terabytes, and they were huge the size of fridges.
1: Oh, so, wow.
0: And whereas now I can get a two terabyte portable drive that <laughs> I can carry around in my bag like it's tiny, you know, and, amazing, and it costs it? 80 euros. Yeah. So, I mean, technology has just changed so much in the 20 years that I've been working on this yeah. project. And I think that's what one of the, the biggest things is for digitization projects now. It's like that not only are you taking images, you have to be very careful about how you're going to conserve your digital data as you go uh, on. Yeah.
1: That's definitely an issue we will discuss further because I'm very interested in the digitization or, or preserving digitization, as it were, because that's a very difficult thing now in academia. But for yourself, how do you keep up with all these developments? Because you graduated in 2002, I think you said.
0: Yes. And that, um, but then
1: the all the stuff you learned was probably very different from what you need now. Or is it? Or how do you keep up?
0: Yeah, so well, I'll go back to two thousand and two, and so when I came on, there was three of us on the project, and then DCU were taking on all of our um, digital material. Um, So because we were starting to increase our workload, because now we had two technicians Mm digitising constantly. Um, their workload became too much because we were relying on the help of students to sort of go through this.
1: All oh, so. right oh cool so you did a sort of uh, crowd sourcing. Yeah so
0: we'd send over the data in big batches and then they would send it back and they were sort of controlling I think at that point as well um, our website and some ways of putting the stuff up for us um, because I think on the Oxford project they were realizing that storing this material was a huge feat I think at one point all the servers were knocked down by oh, no way putting up all of this material oh. yeah so it was you know a thin line of how you were going to actually put so the-
1: medieval manuscripts knocked out a server that's that's pretty cool, it, you know, well, yeah. like not for them at the time, obviously, but it's a pretty cool feat for a bunch of medieval manuscripts to knock out the most well, advanced
0: technology of the time. Yeah, you have to remember, this was just revolutionizing the way in which we yeah. were doing things. I think nowadays we just take it that, you know, this always was there, but it wasn't, you know. It yeah. was so, it, you know, people are so used to having access to everything that they want. At, at, their fingertips but you certainly weren't able to do that 20 years ago yeah yeah still going into libraries and figuring out how you were gonna you know get your hands on things um but unfortunately or they left in 2004 because the workload just became too much for them so um and i were in around that time as well colin left the project he went out in his own um, so we were kind of at a standstill of how we were going to fulfill the role now of this new sort of technical role that we needed. Yeah. So I went back to college then at night time to do another degree. In, oh,
1: wow. Fair play.
0: In <laughs> IT because I was like, I mean, I came in to the project knowing photographic principles and techniques, yeah. but my IT skills, I mean, you know, thank goodness we have Andy on our, uh, yes. I mean, <laughs> stuck with us because I was a <laughs> things I was like just had such a fear of computers yeah and so, shout out
1: here to Andrew McCarthy who is also putting up our uh, podcast online and taking care of that aspect of the podcast so thank you very much and absolutely <laughs> yeah you're a
0: star I, a lot of this just wouldn't be possible when yeah. I help you know dedication of people who've really yeah. put in their time over the years so I, I went back to study and and figured out that computers weren't so scary and um, <laughs> very I wasn't going to delete things forever you know um and I, I kind of took over that role as well so um just to kind of keep the, the project going because again I was kind of only brought on for one year and hmm. it was very much known you know you're only going to be here for a year this is what you're going to do you know and afterwards you're going to be gone and right. I was like going, okay uh, and then every year it was like, can you stay for another year? <laughs> I was like, okay, I'll give it another year, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um and then you sort of, I think manuscripts, um, they just an Irish history in they just take something, you know, you just fall in love with it. oh uh, yeah. You know, you just can't you can't leave it go. Once you're sort of involved and invested, you're you just fall in love with it, I think, and you just yeah. feel very like. Be proud and this is your history and you need to be able to yeah keep on going and
1: they're so, amazing course, objects medieval manuscripts and they just
0: yeah yeah they make it, you
1: fall in love with them yeah because that's I wanted to ask you that as well like did you know about medieval manuscripts before you started at Dias oh, did you have an interest in them at all or no nope, not a no. clue <laughs> uh, and
0: I think even for the first few years that I was there it was very much and I think that's what's difficult about some of the digitization projects when you go out because you're looking for people who have skills now in photography heritage photography and um, they don't necessarily have librarian skills or archive skills right. so they, they don't have sort of a knowledge of what the um, subject matter is about you know mm-hmm. and how fragile it is and um, so you need to be very careful because when I started off first as well I, I, I thought it was very much a, a photography project and, and that's the way I, I, I went at it. Uh, but I, I learned over my time that you know it, it's not that it's that and more you have to be able to be really respectful of the material yeah. because yeah. these are primary sources and once you know if they're damaged in any particular way there's no going back you yeah, know yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not like you can find another copy. No, <laughs> so Although we're
1: always hoping for that but it very oh, yeah, rarely actually, happens
0: okay. um <laughs> yeah. so it yeah i think it's then we had Corco McCon left the project in in 2012 so it's kind of landed then and myself then as being the the solo person on the project since then yeah. Um
1: wow but, that's amazing as well for such a project because there's a lot of different skills involved in it as well I mean there's the photo taking but there's also the digital aspect and making contacts with libraries I suppose and people who have manuscripts and that that all boils down to you now is it (laughs) yes uh
0: wow of course um (laughs) we definitely have uh you know with the great academia staff that we have in um school Hmm. as well I wouldn't be able to do it without people's help and, and the want that they have to help you out and the interest yeah. that people have. You know, I've come across so many people throughout my 19 years that I'm there yeah now. You're
1: I'm almost like, up for a party at Dias. I know. I'm like, yeah. no. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Take note, people who listen.
0: <laughs> it's, just, you know, and you have people who cross your paths over the years that I have yeah. done, and their love of manuscripts can be seen and they want to help you out because they know what you're trying to achieve. Yeah. And, you know, they'll go after it for you, you know, in their own particular way. Ah, if they a yeah, the manuscript, yeah. they will yeah. sort of chase that for you because they know at the end of the day, you know, what you're trying to do is highlight this yeah. magnificent history that we have, you yeah. know. I um, think
1: everybody sees the importance of of ISILs as a project uh, and therefore is willing to put an extra effort in to make it happen yeah, yeah I absolutely yeah. I
0: think for me I've always found people to be very flexible if you're flexible with them I yeah. mean I always come at it as saying that you know I'm not a commercial body we aren't we're yeah. here for the students for anyone who wants to have access yeah. we want to make our history open for everyone to enjoy because it, it is sort of as you said like when I was in college I never even heard of medieval, you know other than yeah. seeing it in you know your school books and but to sort of understand that our history is so much part of us, it's, yeah. you know, it's a, a definitely a proud moment that I can be involved in something like this.
1: Yes, I can imagine. And it's such a wonderful resource to have open access because anyone can log on to ISOS, the website, uh, we'll put the link up uh, with the podcast as well, obviously, but the the link is uh, www.isos.dias.ie. That's uh, it, yeah yes yeah so and anyone can go there and look at all these beautiful manuscripts and the collection is just growing and growing and growing
0: yeah Um, I mean at the moment we have about 425 manuscripts online so roughly on my last count there is about 80,000 large resolution images oh wow Uh, that's
1: amazing isn't it
0: it's yeah and it's a resource that is used quite a lot um we've had about five million hits last year so that's a lot of people coming and going and you know particularly with um, the pandemic I mean we need these sort of resources online so that yes. we're still able to continue our work no matter where we end up because I think the workspace now has changed Definitely. you know yeah. we can't be tied to a particular place yeah and we need to sort of be able to have fluidity you know yeah. with being able to carry on our work wherever we are yeah you know, through phones or tablets or whatever yeah. is the no, technology, exactly. you
1: know. In our pyjamas or not in our pyjamas, all that, yeah. And I actually, I made a list as well, but it fell down. So I'll just have to grab it here um, with all the, because they're Irish manuscripts that you put up online, but they're not all from Irish libraries. So the manuscripts that you have are actually from, as wide a range as um, Australia, Britain, Belgium, Ireland, Scotland, and then some manuscripts that are in private collections. Uh, so that's a really amazing range of countries that are willing to cooperate on. This. Yeah,
0: um, we have uh, twenty-five different partnerships, and oh, like said, wow. uh, most of the Irish manuscripts are held in large uh, repositories in major libraries um and then you'll have a few that are in private collections as well and then you know because of our history um you will have a lot of the manuscripts have been taken out of ireland Mm -hmm. when you know different points of history when persecutions were happening and and they took them with them you know to safeguard them so you'll have them turning up in the likes of the british library or Um, one of our last projects was with the KBR Royal Libraries of Belgium so uh, and even in that case that's quite an interesting one they were brought over to Levene to St Anthony's College and then um, uh, they were sort of during the French Revolution they were dispersed onto the KBR library in Belgium and some were brought over to UCD but so uh, that collection in particular has been split. Um, mm. But because now with what you can do online, you can bring them back together. We have that collection now ed- completed. So if you're doing your studies, you don't have to say, oh, you know, I'm going to have to go over, you know, to Belgium yeah. and then I have to go down to UC. You know, you can yeah. continue on your studies um, and get the collection the way it was supposed to be. Yeah. And I think that's really important to start bringing back our history together so that, you know, the study can be done as it was supposed to be. Um, Another interesting one that's been split was our recent um, acquisition of the one in the British Library, um, which is Egerton M.S. 88, which is a manuscript that came last year, I think it was for the Galways 2020 European Capital of Culture.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So before that one came over, we didn't digitize it ourselves. It was digitized um, for insurance purposes. I think the O'Dovern family um, very kindly donated the uh, money to get that one digitized. And, um, but in that case, that manuscript itself has been split into two parts and then a fragment. So the other part was in the Royal Irish Academy, Mm 23Q6. And then there's like this random fragment that ended up in Copenhagen. Oh, wow. You'll have manuscripts that are just, you know, been parted. And I think that fragment was sent um, by Charles Valancy at one point because he was searching for Irish manuscripts and he sent it over as... so that people would be able to recognize the Gaelic script. Oh, right. But then it suddenly stayed there. So, <laughs> now, you know, our history is we all, we all
1: have books in our bookcase that was yes. lent to us by a friend at some stage. You know. <laughs> but you know, they kept a manuscript fragment, yeah.
0: <laughs> so, I mean, but in saying that, so it's very difficult to kind of be able to approach these libraries because mm. initially you're thinking, gosh, you know, are they trying to, uh, uh, you know, Are we coming across as trying to claim our Irish history? And that's not what we're here to do. We just want to be able to um, get as much of the Irish manuscripts as we can, to bring them together as a national repository, and so that everyone can enjoy them the way that they were supposed to be.
1: It's an amazing thing for paleographers and philologists and codicologists that the digitization of these manuscripts allows you to have all these different fragments and actually digitally put them together again so you can read the manuscript as the one book Uh, as well as I think for a lot of the Brussels manuscript that you digitize um, some of them are actually very fragile and um, if you would go to the library and ask to see the manuscript you wouldn't always be able to because they're obviously very protective of these manuscripts and they are in a fragile uh, state or they need to be repaired or whatever so having them online uh, and accessible to everyone is just a, such an incredible bonus uh, for us as researchers so thats yeah, a, yeah. Uh,
0: absolutely it's uh, it, it brings a lot of uh, different aspects now for research um, I mean, you can now compare two copies, just say, of the book, for instance, uh, in Trinity Library with another mm. copy in the Royal Irish Academy. And, you know, when you look at these side by side, you wouldn't have been able to do that before. Yeah, you know, yeah. say, oh, you know, but I'm just going to rob it uh, bring it yeah, down. Exactly. Around, you know, <laughs> give us a second. On a minute. <laughs> um, so it's, it's just thrown up so much because when you have a look at then the two side by side, you know, you're suddenly seeing things that you wouldn't have before. So, yeah. it, it's it's great to be able to have that sort of tool. Yeah. Um, and and as you say, just this is just revolutionising the way in uh, which we do yeah. our study.
1: Um, yeah. But
0: I can bring you through a couple of my favourites that I have. Of oh, my yes. uh, do. yeah, you, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, because well, I'll start with the Royal Irish Academy because we've been in partnership with them since the very beginning. Right. And they're still very much in our digitization schedule. So we have about um, 100 of their manuscripts up. Oh, wow.
1: Yeah. They have Do you over know 2, the percentage? Uh, oh, sorry. Yeah, you were just about yeah. to say that. What is the percentage that you've put up online of their manuscripts?
0: So, I mean, we are still, there is about 5,000 manuscripts, oh. Irish manuscripts around the world. Yeah. So, and we've done 425 of them so yeah. we're still slowly going through a lot of um, work
1: still to do <laughs> absolutely
0: yeah. um, but I'll begin with the stone missile um oh yeah so it's mainly a latin manuscript it was one of our first to be digitized back in 2001 that's oh, nearly 20 okay. years ago um, and it's a highly decorated manuscript which is well over a thousand years old and, and if was, you
1: are listening at the moment, you can actually, while you are listening, you can go to Isos and click on the manuscript and actually see what Marie is talking about. That might be nice. Absolutely, yeah. because generally I'd
0: have very pretty slides to go. Yes,
1: that. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So go to the website and, and uh, <laughs> have the visual support for Marie's uh, discussion of her favorites.
0: So this was a manuscript that was written at some time between 792 and 803 AD. And um, it was a vellum manuscript, which was meant, it, it means it was made from a prepared animal skin, yeah. uh, typically calf skin, which was bleached and stretched and scraped until it was smooth. Um, and this was a very precious commodity, um, but it was very durable. Thank goodness. So
1: yes, it's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, more durable than the books we have nowadays, so. Absolutely. I mean, uh,
0: some of the paper manuscripts that I have seen, unfortunately, they, they look like they... You know, we're not going to take too much mm. longer before the history uh, sort of comes in and, and destroys what's left. But um, yeah. the Vela manuscripts, on the other hand, seem to be, you know, withstanding yeah. the t- time, you know, definitely. Um, but this still missile contains 67 leaves, and the first uh, 11 of which comprise excerpts from the Gospel of St. John, believed to be written at the monastery of Laura and Tipperary, uh, the remaining 56 leaves comprise the missile proper. And contain the ordinary and canon of mass the order of baptism of visitation of the sick and of the last rites and the stone missile itself is small a mere 15 centimeters high and 11 wide small enough to be carried around by a priest on his travels so right. just it's a very practical book them, absolutely and yeah. um, but what is particularly unique about this manuscript is that in the 11th century there was a shrine made for it known in irish as a kudak mm. uh, the shrine now resides in the National Museum of Ireland, um, and this is a shallow rectangular box made of oak and covered with decorated metal plates. But both the stone missile and its shrine were locked away for several hundred years in the walls of Lacking Castle, and in 1735, the owner of the castle, uh, John O'Kennedy, undertook refurbished works, and the mm. manuscript shrine was discovered within the walls. Oh, so it's such a fairy tale, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah, I, I love, love this. It. So um, <laughs> yeah. during the very early stages of the ISIS project, both the Stone Misan and shrine were briefly uh, reunited together for the first time. Oh, wow. um, and I think that's one of the great aspects of ISIS and digitization, where you can kind of reunite our you know, our Irish heritage together, no matter where it's found itself in modern times. That's so, amazing. Uh, yeah. It's such a, you know, to be able to place it in the box and it's something that you'll never be able to do again (laughs) you know they're in such fragile states now and
1: also I think to know that this was such a practical manuscript that was actually used and probably treasured by someone such a long time ago and then to hold it in your hands that must be an amazing feeling
0: (laughs) absolutely yeah I mean the amount of stuff that I have gone through yeah we're know. all
1: very jealous of you Anne-Marie <laughs> some of them
0: are huge and you just wonder how they managed to you know and every bit of vellum is used scraps and scraps kind of yeah. put together it's just so fascinating to mm-hmm. to see how these books are, are put together and you know were treasured um so I have my next one up on the spotlight is Lara Nahida or the oh, book oh yes of good one so uh, this is also at the Royal Irish Academy um, and it's a late or early 12th century uh, manuscript and this one is uh, written entirely in Irish uh, and we think it was compiled in the Monastery of Clonmacnoise, Noyce and derives drives its name from the legends that it was partly written on vellum made from the hide of a dun cow who was a pet of St Kiernan's at Clamac
1: Ooh, That's cool to have a cow for a pet. Uh, and <laughs> but, then you go. It's definitely on my wish list. Oh,
0: yeah. <laughs> Looking at it going, I'm, you know, I'm going to use you later. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, well, OK, yeah, that's the not so nice part about it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, uh, so it's called, con, uh, commonly known to scholars as LU, and it's the oldest surviving manuscript literature written in Irish. Um, LU contains the earliest versions of some of the most famous of Irish sagas, including the eulogy of Colin Killer. Believed to be the oldest text in Iris. Ah, yes, Hadn't we discussed
1: been... that uh, with um, Christina as well in our first podcast. Yes. Uh, so because Jacopo Bisogni just made a new edition of that uh, text.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I then go on to uh, the Book of Ballymote. Oh, um, yes. So it, that one was named after Ballymote in County Sligo, which is partly written in uh, the castle belonging to Tom MacDonough all right me, me with my naming now
1: <laughs> <laughs> so here we're moving from sort of monastery settings to the castle settings and the
0: yeah it just uh, trying to give you sort of an idea of um the manuscripts now are stretching from the early part of the centuries right up yes um yeah, yeah, yeah. so it, it this one uh, um on its opening pages there contains the laura or erin or the book of the talking of ireland so it's a legend of the irish people and the narrative traces the history of the Irish back to Noah and tells the story of the arrival of various settlers to the island. Um, and the story formed a standard element of the history of Ireland uh, as recorded by medieval scholars. So you'll find yeah, yeah. a lot of those, um, Lara, or Erin, uh, in a few of the manuscripts. I've seen quite a lot of copies of it, so it's quite mm-hmm. an interesting one to see. And then one that I found quite fascinating uh, is held in the national library of scotland um, all right so we're heading off to too. scotland now yeah. yes now internationally uh, and this manuscript holds signs of the zodiac which i thought was very oh, interesting right. yeah so there would be sort of um, illuminations done of the uh, different signs and then um different descriptions and I thought jeepers this is quite a modern take uh you know going yes, back,
1: yeah. it was
0: written in the 16th or 17th century by uh, and it's a medical manuscript written by various members of the beaten medical family of Mull an island off the west coast of Scotland All right. and it will briefly describes the 12 constellations and the legends associated with their names so you'll have chapter on the crab or the lion, or oh cool uh, and it's you know it's fascinating to see that it it still relates to modern times and we've still discussed the zodiac to this day you know and i think people would be sort of intrigued to see it you know being discussed back then because some of the explanations are very similar to what we have
1: today so yeah and what was the name of that manuscript i think i might have Uh, uh, 7212.
0: 7212
1: all right okay so if people want to look up the zodiac signs they can yeah, it's, to the National uh, Library of Scotland, and then uh, that number.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then another one that was quite interesting that I have done is the Farmley Elizabeth's Primer manuscript, um, and it's from the Benjamin Ivy Library at Farmley, which was a lovely place to create and digitise. Oh, I bet. Oh, so yeah. I mean, I used to come in the morning and go, yeah, "This is where I want to be." It's just it's lovely out yeah. like there. Um, so I definitely. Recommend anyone to have a trip out to Barnley because it's free yes. and it's absolutely lovely for a stroll um, in Phoenix Park. So it extends to 18 pages, written in English and Latin and with some Irish phrases. And it sets out the antiquity of the Irish language and race and was prepared at the request of Queen Elizabeth I. Oh, and I think, think the scribe might have been Christopher Nugent, who died while a prisoner of the English government in Dublin Castle. Oh. So it's been suggested that the primer was presented to Elizabeth I on the occasion of her visit to the University of Cambridge in 1564, where Christopher uh, Nugent was a student, and it is recorded in the primer that the Queen herself had specifically requested of the author that he provide her with instructions for the reading of the Irish language. Oh, and that's amazing.
1: The main motivation
0: for uh, Elizabeth's request and for the primer's composition was, without doubt, her interest in propag- propaganding the president of yeah. religion uh, through the, the use of the Irish vernacular so mm-hmm. um, but what was interesting about this one was on Queen Elizabeth II's visit to Ireland in May 2011 a copy of the primer was presented to her and this was made possible through the Irish script on screens digitising oh, wow. work the original primer. And so we produced a lifelike copy, which was presented to her when she came. That's
1: amazing. So that was based on the pictures that you took uh, of that manuscript.
0: Yeah. So so it's quite an interesting link then to that one. I feel like
1: I'm saying "wow" a lot in this podcast, so I apologize to all the listeners. But I'm just so astounded by all the work that you've done, and all the digitizations, and the different places, and the beautiful manuscripts. Uh, oh, so yeah. absolutely! I, uh,
0: you know, I'm very privileged to have seen quite a, a a bit of it. So I'm I'm looking forward to seeing the rest of them, hopefully. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, but we have a, a lot of medical manuscripts as well. I think our project started out initially and um, focusing on medical manuscripts. Um, because oh, right. there's a large corpus of them, there are about 16,000 pages of text of medical manuscripts. Um, and um, the medical manuscripts were essentially textbooks derived in large measure from the major medical schools of the continent. They mm-hmm. were used by medical families. And um, they were sort of we were very international and outward looking, I think, when you think of Ireland going back through the centuries, we're, we're always kind of bombarded with this image of the famine and how we were so yeah. poor and, you know, we didn't really have a scholarly sort of presence, but that wasn't necessarily, you know, that's one narrative. Uh, and the other one is, is that we were definitely a scholarly nation um, mm. and we were at the forefront of different types of um revelations as well particularly in um, medicine so you'll find in the book of olies um it, it has it comprises an irish translation of arabic medical text titled table oh, yeah. table of diseases um, and so it has it has 44 tables setting out in chart form the principal diseases affecting the various organs of the body and supplying brief treatments for each so the way that um it's laid out in this manuscript. It's not in tabular form. And it's in a a different chart presentation that was revolutionizing the way that um, medical uh, students were now Mm -hmm. being taught. And so we were at the forefront of this. Um, And so, you know, it's at that point we're at a cutting edge of scholarly research. Um,
1: Yeah, and uh, ISIS is sort of displaying this uh, this very strong Irish scholarly tradition tradition actually and going against that perhaps that image that is still present in some places that you know what like you said Ireland's such a poor country and inward looking rather than outward looking and all these manuscripts that are now collected on Isis actually show the exact opposite all the the links between Ireland and the continent and between scholars uh, between books and all that so that's Absolutely,
0: Uh, we have late manuscripts as well, so um, we've a few been donated to the School of Celtic Studies, um, Mm. and one is the O'Cahan manuscript, and it it just gives you, uh, it was donated by Sheila Faulkner in 1982, and it it just gives you an idea that the scribal tradition, this is a 19th century uh, manuscript, and we were still continuing on with this Mm. scribal tradition, right up to the point where it had stopped in Europe, you know? So we have such, um, our history is very much shrouded in manuscripts all the way through. Um, And it's just nice to be able to show, um, you know, this long history that's, you know, evident on our description screen. So we don't even, you know, we started out doing very early manuscripts and now I'm trying to incorporate later manuscripts as well. So that you could just get a feeling of, what each of the centuries had to offer Um, and uh, recently my very recent work up is two manuscripts um, called the Dunnington Manuscripts and these have been also donated to the School of Celtic Studies
1: that's amazing
0: Um, so yeah we're we're collecting as well as we (laughs) go along um, because I think manuscripts are just showing up you know you never know where they have landed and people don't understand the script as in this case they they were at the cusp of being lost to history as well Um, they were originally from Waterford they're about 19th century and they contain songs and poetries and stories um and they're named after their savior and Mr Dunnington who discovered them um while he was um uh, at a I think an auction of it was um he was at an auction from the Library of the Holy Cross Father Cemetery in Louisville, in Kentucky, and no he's way.
1: in Kentucky. In
0: Kentucky, he himself he's American, I think, with Irish ancestry, and he is a collector of Civil War books and memorabilia. So he's not even, you know, has no interest yeah. in, you know, medieval manuscripts. And when he turned up at this auction, they had been listed under Latin or maybe Greek, I think it was. Oh, uh, really? They were being sold off in that way. Um, and he just happened to sort of see the script and sort of recognize it from his travels to Ireland oh, as wow. being Irish. Yeah. And um, so he bought them out of civic pride, I think it was. And um, yeah, absolutely. I him, yeah. Found um, Professor Ed Durrell Stalkin from University of Cincinnati and you know, they started to converse about, you know, what these manuscripts might mean and what they were about. Um, and, you know, it's just one of those stories where you hope that will happen more often. Yes. yes. You know, <laughs> they found their, their home, they came back, you know, and it's such yeah. a romantic tale of, you know, our history coming back to us and what we can learn from it.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. And it's just such a great story. And, it, uh, you know, and it, I love that isos can be part of this sort of reunite you know when they're almost being seen as being thrown away and cast away because you know people can't understand the contents and they see them as nothing worthy you know and so it's just it's really nice to
1: that's an amazing example yeah yeah and i was also wondering if you because i'm i'm so curious what your day looks like so can you talk us through what happens when you when you have permission to add a new manuscript to ISOS, like how how do you set up the photo setup? Or, or how do you make the photos or how do you put them online? How how does your day work? <laughs> okay, yep, that's no
0: problem. Um so I'll go out and I'll have a look at the manuscript first to make sure that it is able for digitization because right. Most of the time, these manuscripts are very fragile and they're in a condition that needs to be treated with respect, first of mm. all. So once I go out, and you also have to make sure that if you're opening a manuscript, because they did like to utilise every inch of space. Yes. <laughs>
1: That's sometimes... <laughs> very I'll... expensive stuff, yeah.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, the last thing you need to do, because when I started out first, um, digitization cradles, they could have glass plates and what they wanted to do was... Press down right you're putting pressure on any sort of spine that's been there for Mm. quite some time it'll crack so we never went down that route I mean if it doesn't naturally the way that it's supposed to I just won't go near it um Mm. but again I've had quite extensive handling of these manuscripts now so you know there's never been any mishaps and I you know you you know what you're doing after a certain amount of years (laughs) yeah yeah, yeah, Um, yeah so once I bring it in i'll have a a look at it and um, we have i've just gotten a new um conservation created book cradle so i'm delighted about that but it means that i'm becoming less mobile I'm not able to sort of bring my kit out with me. Because okay. I'm yes, yeah. Bigger because
1: I've sometimes together. seen you head out on your bicycle to, uh, for example, the Royal Irish Academy or the National Library of Ireland, but you can't do that with your kit, obviously.
0: No. I mean, yeah. we, uh, in the very beginning, we had got our first uh, book cradle, and it was mobile to an extent, but it has been definitely shook and shaken around yeah. uh, <laughs> around Dublin libraries, um, so it's becoming very worse for wear, I'm afraid. Yeah. And um, so i be very grateful to um, the School of Celtic Studies, I'm able to purchase a new um, updated um, book cradle, because Mm -hmm. if you remember as well, digitization has changed immensely over the 20 years. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'll I'll come back to that, but um, Mm -hmm. so, when I get the book, then you'll sort of do different types of checks to make sure that the spine is going to be supported at all times. Um, because you don't want to have sort of any pressure put on it. And then I'll have to check the room conditions as well. So particularly if it's a vellum manuscript, it's quite porous, so it'll actually move if you have it in any sort of unstable heat or lighting. Oh, wow, yeah. So it's you'll have to- live. <laughs> pretty much. And, and that, you know, if it starts moving when you're taking pictures, it doesn't take much if the humidity is not right in that room and that manuscript yeah. starts to dry out it starts to move in and um, you'll just get pictures that just aren't satisfactory and um, so I'll, I'll spend a long time trying to get the humidity just right particularly and uh, um, then light is your biggest issue as well in the room so it, it needs to be blacked out as much as it can so I I do most of my days in the dark. Right. <laughs> dark and wet is generally. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> Not, not very pleasant. I have people coming into me going, i are not working in here because I'm blazing white light at me. Um, oh, yeah. Because I use cold lights as well, but they are quite strong because I need to block out any other light. That's right. In.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you bring your own lamps as
0: well. I, I bring my yeah. own lamps as yeah. well. and yeah. They're quite big. Um, yeah, yeah. Because they're museum lamps, because you're trying to not admit any heat. So even me being in a room, I'll admit heat. So between me and the monitors and all the kits worrying away, you know, the degrees, not that they're going to shoot up really fast, but even a couple of degrees, I mean, you need to be able to control that because Mm. the heat as well is going to move that volume, you know, and you don't want, you want it to be in the best conditions for the book first and foremost. I don't want to put any sort of strain or do any sort of... I want to give the book back the way I got it. Yes, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. Do. And if you can't do that, well, you shouldn't be digitizing, and I'd say that right.
1: right.
0: Yeah. Um, so when I assess it all, I'll put it down, then we'll start our digitization. I do the rectos first and then the versos. So it'll be one process over the other. And okay. then you, I have a large format camera. So if you think about the old uh, cameras, you might see pictures of where the photographer has this big black sort of hood over its head right yeah I use one of them because I quite like really being able to yeah you, you can manipulate the four corners so I find that if oh, yeah. anything's starting to move I can just very do my little tweaks I, I can do it now without even yeah it's sort of in my sleep <laughs> so much Yeah. Um, but so that's my old-fashioned front, uh, and then all of the sort of newer technologies in the back. So mm-hmm. I have a Phase 1 IQ 180 digital back. So it takes millions of pixels, and that's sent oh, wow. directly to my computer. So when I would have started oh, wow. off first, we've always used Phase 1 backs. Um, but I used to take the booking with me because the, by the time, it used to be a scanner rather than an instant, what we're used to now with Okay. Backs so, so we
1: go bit by bit by bit by so bit. it
0: would go bit by bit I was reading oh. my book because you'd be yeah. four minutes going oh, yeah. wait for that one's come in and then there was no way at that point to see whether your picture was going to be in focus oh so yeah, if it I imagine happened, that back again so it was it's painstaking yeah any digitization project you need to have someone who's got a lot of patience <laughs> really do because it can be you know Page after page, but yeah. for me, I'm sort of a person who I love details. It just has to be. Yeah.
1: If it isn't
0: in focus, or if it isn't where I want it to be, yeah. It's just not going in. So You're, I'm on yeah.
1: perfect for the job. So perfect for <laughs> the are. job.
0: Yeah. I, yeah. I mean the thing is you you need to have that level of person though, who's kind yeah. of just painstakingly just going to constantly keep at it until <laughs> they get where they want it to be. Yeah. Um And then nowadays, so when I started off first, you know, you took a picture, you did your sort of lighting or white balance and that was it, you put it up and that's the best you could do. Um, Whereas now there is a load of standards, colored standards, there's the Fagi, the (laughs) Metamorphosis, ISO 19264-1, there's loads of them. And (laughs) that's all like... I would say it's all Dutch
1: to me, but I am Dutch, so sure that would work, but uh, uh, well, yeah. what does all that mean? <laughs> you
0: almost have to be a color scientist. You oh, right. know what light is throwing up all these different types of colors, the tones, the noise, the geometry, the mm. little details. And I mean, oh, I, you know, sometimes at night I can't sleep thinking oh, about, I, you know, how am I going to get that little bit more detail out? Because, you know, there's all of this, you know, all of these different types of steps before yes. your image is deemed you know archival quality oh, and right.
1: it, okay yeah so there's particular standards for that as well before absolutely. you can put them up online okay yes
0: yeah because I mean they're trying to you know you're what you're trying to do is getting an archival copy of the, uh, the manuscript as you see it you know so you won't have to go back and do it again
1: Yeah. Um,
0: But, you know, all the time, these are getting tighter and tighter, you know, as digitization becomes the norm now, we've gotten a hell of a lot more rules uh, about what's, you know, the right way and the wrong way um, and what's going to be accepted and what isn't accepted. And and this can slow down the process for a lot of um, digitization projects as well. And um, because it's a lot to go through. I mean, my day before I even start then, I'm doing targets. I'm doing, you know, you're trying to get your monitor to ser- look a certain way. I and mean, you spend right. a lot of time flapping about <laughs> before you actually get back to your manuscripts. That's still there. I haven't had even one picture taken, you know. Right. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, it yeah. can be a, a very long winded process. But so after all of that's done and you have to do it every time you turn on the camera or every time a light is moved and, that's why with me going off to different institutions now it's just so much it's so it's harder because i'll come back the next day and you know it'll be like oh you know we had to move your kit and i'm like what oh right. so, that's like a we nightmare
1: like, probably we, we
0: need room today you know can you possibly move your stuff for a few oh. hours And i'm like i can't, move it I can't get <laughs> back to where it was you know but anyway yeah. um uh, so that's my kit and then um when I take the picture, I'll have to come back to it again. So I take all my pictures and then I have my processing stage, which I'll I'll go through um, Capture One software and Photoshop. And then I'm on to my metadating then, which is the cataloging. Because for me, all right, yeah. when we started with ISOS initially, there was no cataloging done. But it's very difficult to, for people particularly who don't know how to find stuff you know or what each of the manuscripts involving i mean i i I think now you have to have some form of cataloging uh, metadata to go with it so you know because you can have all these resources and they can't be searchable or you know so there'll be no use to anybody having them up if no one can find out or figure out what they are and so uh, at the moment our website is html based which is a sort of very flat and you can't really do much with it but it's never broken down that's the only well, thing. that's
1: important I mean and that is important you can have it's fancy me. flashy yep. effects but if it you know crashes on you every time you try to open a file then it's not worth it
0: yeah absolutely and that's the whole thing it's been up there for you know 20 odd years now yeah. it's never gone down that's never exactly. had any issues you know, and yes it doesn't do the sort of as say fancy things that all the rest of them uh, but it mm-hmm. works yeah. but in saying that you do have to change with the times <laughs> so we are hoping it's a big undertaking because as you can imagine 20 years of you know having the website being updated with mm. very I've got loads of files it's just loads and loads so um We're trying to change the website into this new IIIF that um, you have other sort of libraries now coming into, uh, and that's IIIF stands for International Image Interoperably Framework. All right, yeah. um, It's just a way that libraries can communicate with each other. So just say um, you have images up on the Cambridge Digital Library, Mm -hmm. and you have images up on isos you'll be able to sort of set up your own workstation and be able to bring in images from cambridge images from isos images mm. from scotland and have them up in your own and be able to save them
1: oh wow so that you're crazy. able to come
0: back to it yeah, rather okay. than go right can start my day again where am i going yeah, yeah. you know and and this is it's just going to be able to bring so much more to isos Mm -hmm. Um, and the images are going to be zoomable and you're going to be able to search them easier and um, it just will be able to give you much more tools that i think that's needed at this point but it's good it's a big operation and again there's you know with the limited personnel that we have yes uh, I you <laughs> and poor you know uh, yeah. andy is, is trying to you know do yeah. help me out and do the website uh, regeneration yeah. and it's it's very tough yeah. they're always slow but we'll get to it
1: so if there's anyone listening who's was like oh i have a bag of money and i don't know what to do absolutely. with absolutely uh, do send it towards <laughs> isos <laughs> so they can hire some people to uh, to facilitate this process to triple if am I saying that right? Yes absolutely yes. Um, score
0: <laughs> and that's what we're trying to do at the moment is generate some interest in our script mm. on screen to see how we can get all of the manuscripts completed mm. at a bit of a faster rate um with more personnel yeah. um so it is something that we're looking forward into yeah. so hopefully fingers crossed yeah. that we will find people who are, you know, as passionate as we are about our yes. our manuscripts and our history and what and it can be. Sure and they're out there. Yeah, and absolutely. Yeah. I think yeah. like me back in college, you didn't really understand what the need is and what we yeah. have, you know, yeah. I think once you sort of let people know about um, yes. our script on screen and what we're trying to achieve and, you know this big database of our Irish history that you know if we don't get it now it could be lost to history you know and it's trying to bring them back home as well the ones that have found themselves overseas you know you are just trying to be able to give just one place that you can go to and and be able to study for students without having to go right how am I getting to you know
1: Ordered a microfilms or
0: yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Because yeah. I mean that's the one thing that I show people as well. You know, um when I when I started out first, like all you could get was photostats and half yes. of them were yeah. you know white. you not yeah. see anything. Yeah. And yeah, others were yeah. black, and you're thinking, What well, <laughs> happened there? You know. So yeah. like really bad photocopies and like even we have low-resolution images and high-resolution, and even yes. our low-resolution images are far superior to anything you get. Yeah. You know. And then when I go, I, you know, I'm taking images from everything that's with the manuscript, from the front to the back to notes that are in between. Everything's getting done, whereas you wouldn't necessarily. Some of these bits are lost. You know, they wouldn't necessarily seem as being important to do. Um, because even when we started out first. We we're only taking bits out of the manuscripts that oh, were right. more important, because yeah, again, yeah. digitalization was such a big job to do yes, even for yeah, a yeah. few pages. So that's where we started out with, and so now we're like, well, we do cover to cover and anything else that's included, and yeah, then yeah. I try to get as much cataloging that I can see done um, up so that people can sort of see that as well, and just to make it sort of this resource that is just you know, there for everyone to share and, uh, you know, have. And um yeah, so it's, it's just trying to uh, keep on going with that. <laughs>
1: I think that kind of um uh, naturally sort of answered the other questions that I usually ask in the podcast, namely. Why are you doing it that? Uh, and I think we've Pretty much covered that. Uh, you very eloquently did. Um, and also the question. Mm-hmm. Kesht. Kiyaret To what place is your road or ISOS's road, I suppose? So the future of the project will involve, hopefully, the transfer yeah. to this new uh, type of.
0: Um, yeah, well, hopefully. The website will be updated. I'm still trying to keep it as, you know, I think still when you go into some of the libraries, their uh, website can be very flashy and just mm. so much at you. So I'm trying to still think the essence of ISOS is to keep it the same, yeah. but have all these extra tools and whether we can achieve that is another thing, but it, that's yeah. our, our goal. Yeah. Um, and then it's trying to get funding, Mm -hmm. more people to come back onto the project yes that
1: would be amazing
0: it's just been one recession after the other yeah Yeah. you know so i'm like
1: no not another recession but the millionaires got richer so (laughs) Um, absolutely (laughs) maybe they're listening (laughs) you know and
0: if they feel any way towards uh, you know irish history and trying to preserve our culture you know that's what we're trying to do and then it's really trying to keep our digital archive then and conserve that as we go forward because I'll come back to the changes in IT. They've just been so huge in 20 years because when when I started out then, a couple of years in, there was DLT tapes. That's what they were talking about. You know, you need to store on DLT tapes. These are going to last for 30 years, you know, and so we were kind of going, okay, and they were expensive. They were like 80 uh, euros per tape. And they only sort of held a very small amount of data. So, I mean, I have hundreds of them. And so we would have put them on two tapes, you know, done two backups. And so about five years in, I says, okay, right, I'll go through these just to make sure that we're all okay. And this is what you need to do. Go back. See what way you're saving Continually. Make sure that it's still relevant. Make sure your tape, yeah. whatever you got, is still you've still got the drive to read it. Because yeah. oh, you know, yeah. you'll have an IT change and all the laptops will change and suddenly you won't have yeah. CD drives <laughs> anymore. I, or <laughs> you won't have anything. And you're thinking, Where did they go? When did somebody yeah. tell you know, this is it's gone. So sorry, you know, we're all in the cloud. And you're thinking, this is What? Yeah, yeah I am out of this. You know, so when I went back to go through all the DLT tapes. Only 20%, you know, 20% have become unreadable. So I was so shocked. Whereas, you know, they told us that these tapes were going to be readable for 30 years. So we're only five years in, what's going to happen? You know, but I was able to, thankfully, because at that point we, you know, our uh, archive wasn't that big. So I was able to take everything back off. And now we do it um, on sort of a a live medium. So that would be hard drives. where we need to poor Anthony or uh, Andy again? <laughs> have, <laughs> uh, been struck with that one, so he'll go through our server that we have in house, and then we have another one out of house just in case you know the off. Yeah. Oh is. yes, yeah. Flooding or you know yeah. fire or anything, so that you have another backup. So you have to have a backup of your backup, yeah, and yeah, then yeah. a backup of each of the servers. So yeah. Um, you'll have one copy on one hard drive and another copy on another hard drive and if this hard drive f- fails that day there'll be you know red flags and it'll be copied onto another one so it's just keep on copies and they need to keep on going and yeah. um, you need to be looking at it daily that's you a very comforting thought that yeah, there are so absolutely. Many backups of isos <laughs> because I'm like going. I am not going back and doing them again. No, <laughs> yeah, it's twenty years' work here. I know. So you want to be yeah. sure, you know, and and that's the thing. You have to be constantly on top of this. You really yeah. do, and yeah. um, because it's a life work. So yeah, yeah. You no, know, and it's a resource that. It needs to be maintained that's the thing and it's a virtual maintaining virtually which is very tough yeah. but, and, and people don't realize that that it needs to be costed into your budget you yeah,
1: know yeah, yeah. that
0: sort of thing needs to be constantly going on it may not be glamorous it may you may think you have it forever but oh, you yeah, no. not you know and then and then it's gone and then you know then you're yeah. lost so Yes. Very good. Many, yeah, many backups. Good. Yes, many yes. backups. <laughs> and in
1: terms of future plans, are there um, any manuscripts that you can give us a sneak preview that you might be digitizing in the future or that you would like to digitize in the future?
0: Well, um, that's the thing about the ISOS project. We're very lucky in everyone I've met really wants to become involved mm. with the project because, you no, know, there's no cost involved. And people kind of get to know me over the period of time Um, and so, you know, it may take a long time to do things, but they'll get done. (laughs) I'll never forget a person, but I do have a lot of different projects running concurrently. And so we'll go into the Royal Arch Academy for a few months of the year um or we'll go over to Trinity College for right. you know a couple of months and yeah. but they'll start to all run together and then smaller projects so I'll take in one or two manuscripts from each of them so yeah. um at the moment we were in Trinity College but because of the pandemic of course I yeah. literally got up one day and went okay I'll see you in, is it two weeks we'll be back here yeah months later and so quite difficult to sort of get my stuff back from there and oh
1: yeah that's another problem yeah so you were all set up there and then the pandemic hit oh yeah i I thought it was
0: coming back it was oh yes yeah um, i'll (laughs) see you in there (laughs) (laughs) i'll see you in a, a short period of time um but um so at the moment i'm I, I want to go back into the Royal Art Academy I mean they're one of the mm. major repositories of our Irish manuscripts so hopefully I have a list of um, medical manuscripts that would complete our list I think I hope that would be cool so, that would be a
1: reason for a party that <laughs> would be nice
0: to be able to sort of say yes we've completed this section you know yes, so yep. I'm hoping that you know next year we might be able to get in get a couple more but that project will probably be over maybe two years to complete that but um they uh, have the coffee yachts, 12 or 33 so it's the 1300th anniversary of the birth of colin killer that's oh, next nice. year mm-hmm. so i did the coffee yacht, uh God, a few years ago but it's never gone up on ice us so we were kind of waiting to Sort of get it up when um, this anniversary is about to happen.
1: So, oh wow, that's something to hopefully that'll too. go up. Absolutely, because yeah. even
0: for me, you know, uh, my kids will see that in their secondary school book and they're like,
1: oh, oh wow, yes. yeah. you know, you'll be able to see more now soon, you know. Oh, and exciting! You heard it here first, folks.
0: <laughs> absolutely, so hopefully that'll go up. And then, um, I am just about to get the great parchment book of Waterford so oh. um that's a manuscript containing records of the city from 1356 to 1649 oh,
1: that's very interesting as well oh, very it's going to be
0: the other stuff yeah. yeah absolutely I mean that's where we're kind of branching out now to sort of books that are of interest to people and when they come up um that it suits them to be able to come across a digitization project now Um, because the museum's closed down in Waterford so we're taking opportunities when we can and I think that's what we do at ISOS you know if an opportunity presents itself I'll stop doing other work and I'll take this on and then I'll go back again to others and I think that's what people can understand as well that it's yeah um it's just it's a a process absolutely yeah yeah now I'm looking forward to getting that back uh, book up it it looks like you might have um nice illuminations in it and Mm. Of letters, yeah. So I'm. Um, it's been a while since I had a nice fancy book. <laughs> right. Yeah. Anything <laughs> is, but it's vellum. So with vellum, it always takes a longer time because I said you have a lot more checks in place every day to right, make you yeah. happy where it is. Because it's almost talking to you when you sort of. Oh, you that's know,
1: amazing. Watch. Yeah. So. It's it's so cool to hear you say sort of that these books are alive almost and it brings just to mind you know scenes from harry potter or terry pratchett and all these uh, yeah, magical books that are flying about the place yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> Hopefully so. they're not flying by the way i hope it's easier <laughs> than that but
0: <laughs> and so um i'm still finishing up in king's inns i've got a few more manuscripts oh, to complete yes. but i'm nearly finishing there and the irish jesuits i'm just about to finish putting up some did a nice little dictionary so I'm really looking forward to putting that one up because it does have quite a few English words as well so I oh, was wow. able to sort of have a look and um just a really really cool little dictionary so I'm, I'm looking forward to putting that one up as well
1: that sounds uh, very cool oh plenty to look forward to yes absolutely yes <laughs> <laughs> so keep checking the website uh and then I think it is time for us to move on to the final question uh, which is the question where uh, I ask you who to nominate for the next podcast. So uh, the question is... in Do you have a soul friend? Or uh, someone that really, who really inspires you, uh, Dias, and who will be the victim of my interviewing uh, skills next time. So, who would you like to nominate?
0: Um, So, I would like to um, put Chantal Cobal up. um, Her work fascinates me. So, it'd be nice to hear what she's up to these days.
1: That's very exciting. Chantal is our Bergen, or one of the two Bergen fellows, who works at the School of Celtic Studies, and her specialty is manuscripts. So that'll be a nice sort of uh, move over from aspects. talking to you about yes. the technical aspects of manuscripts and getting them up online to going to her and actually um, because she specializes in codicology and paleography. So how are these books made and how were they written and who wrote them? So that'll be very interesting so thank you for that nomination and uh, Chantal if you're listening I hope you're uh, ready and uh, up for it (laughs) I'm looking forward to it yes me too very much and then uh, the only thing that um, is left for me to do is to thank you Anne-Marie for uh, joining us and giving us this wonderful insight in uh, well behind the screens actually at Isos and the type of work you do and uh the amazing outcomes, uh, all these beautiful manuscripts that you can go and see online. So, uh, thank you very much. You uh, uh, and I hope uh, everyone who is listening will join us again uh, for the fourth episode next month. So, uh, we'll talk to you later. Slong. <music> We should go down in the And the inferno one of the boy
0: is. do the